HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Koshan 555. On January 23rd in New York, Koshan 555 kicks off its 10-city national culinary competition promoting heritage breed pigs and breed diversity. The tasting event will challenge five chefs, including Brad Farmery, Peter Hoffman, Bill Telepan, George Mendez, and Sean Rembold, to prepare a menu created from five heritage breed pigs nose to tail. Pig-loving Epicureans will have a chance to sample these dishes along with wines from five different small wineries, as well as the opportunity to help select the king or queen of pork. In addition, guests will be treated to whole pig breakdown demonstrations, followed by a whole roasted heritage breed pig and dessert. General admission tickets start at $125 per person and are available at www.koshan555.com. That's www.koshan555.com. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Happy New Year, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our sponsor today is Koshon555, and our show is being produced and engineered by Jack Inslee. Um... For our first episode of Cutting the Curd in 2011, we are back to our State of Cheese series with uh, good old Ohio, where I was born. Uh, We're lucky to have cheesemaker Abby Turner of Lucky Penny Creamery to talk with us about uh, what's doing in dairy in Ohio. Uh, Are you with us, Abby? I am. Hi, Ann. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Um, So I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit, and first of all, I think I've already made a mistake. Is it Lucky Penny Farm or Lucky Penny Creamery? It's actually both. Lucky Penny Farm is our farm, and then the creamery is our value-added processing facility where we actually make the cheese 16 miles away from the farm. Fantastic. Okay, good. (laughs) So now uh, that's a good segue into the first question. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and and what your farm is all about? Sure, I'd be delighted to. Um, I'm the cheesemaker at Lucky Penny Creamery. And I am the uh, milkmaid and dairy goat farmer at Lucky Penny Farm. Uh, Lucky Penny Farm, we're a century farm in northeast Ohio where we raise uh, Nubians, La Manchas, and Alpine dairy goats. 
Okay. Mm. And how long have you been, uh, how long has Lucky Penny been in business? We've had the farm about eight years, and uh, we have been licensed as a creamery for only about a year now. So it took a while to get everything set up and running and um, to build the creamery and to find all the appropriate used equipment. We tried to uh, reduce, reuse, and recycle as much as we could, um, finding equipment from all over the country, from other small dairies that had closed, and then repurpose that for our creamery. Now, that's an interesting piece of information. I know we do have a lot of cheesemakers who listen to the show. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, you went about uh, finding some of that equipment? Because I know that it can be a sort of uh, difficult task. The, the challenge, yeah, it was a difficult task. The challenge is to have a pretty good understanding of what you need when you get started, you know, that major wish list. Sure, and yeah. And then just scouring the sites, you know, whether it be eBay or Craigslist. Um, and then as something comes up that is on your wish list, you know, even if it might be out of order, you know, going ahead and putting that bid in and, and getting that piece of equipment. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, the, it's amazing. The Internet. Who knew? It would be, That's a, right. be a brokerage site for uh, used dairy farm equipment. And um, it, takes a, it takes a bit of a faith, a good faith, because some of the stuff you buy sight unseen and, you know, you just have to keep your fingers crossed and ask the right questions to make, you're getting, make sure you're getting good equipment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so how many, uh, what's the size of your herd? How many uh, goats do you guys milk at Lucky Penny? Uh, We have about 90 in the herd at this time, and the goal is to milk between 40 and 50 of them. Um, We raise our own replacements and um, then sell off are um, the young males uh, for Cabrito. We do artisan specialty meats as well. That's really smart. Actually, you know, we, that's something that we've been talking a lot about. Um, uh, Heritage Foods is the sort of um, parent organization behind Heritage Radio Network, and they're doing a goat um, initiative for, um, you know, Cabrito and, and baby male goats because on a dairy farm, that's, a, that's sort of a lost source of revenue unless, unless you really take advantage of that. Right. People people are often offended when we say, you know, on, on a dairy farm, males are often the waste product. And, you know, we, we want to turn that into something that has value to the farm, but also value to the consumer and to the chef. Absolutely. So can you tell, uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, your market, where you guys sell uh, your, your products and, and who's, uh, who's buying your, your cheeses and, and meats? Sure. Um, we are very, very blessed to be um, in an area in Ohio, that Northeast Ohio, that is close to many metropolitan markets. Um, we service um, all, the, all the entire state, down to Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, and then uh, Detroit, Ann Arbor, and then east over to Pittsburgh. So we have many metropolitan areas that uh, can support um, higher prices, whether it be for artisan cheese or specialty meats. Absolutely. And, and what do you, uh, what's your primary sort of marketing strategy? Do you guys do farmer's markets? Uh, do you rely on distributors? Do you sell direct to restaurateurs? We do it all. And the, the key is to make sure that, you know, it's like it spokes on a wheel. Um, we do some direct through farmer's markets, and that's fantastic for us because, you know, we're standing there and we get the feedback from the, the, the customers, and we also get to, you know, to put it in their mouths and, you know, see, let them taste it, because often when they taste it, they buy it. Most often when they taste it, they buy it. But that's, you know, for us, that could be, you know, anywhere from a four-ounce to a one-pound sale. Um, but our wholesale accounts are very important, too. We do work with distributors that service white tablecloth restaurants, um, as, as well as some institutional food service. And that's beneficial to us, because although it is wholesale um, to the distributors, um, there's more quantity sold. So uh, between direct farmer's markets and then 
uh, wholesale to restaurants, you know, we usually can, can keep cash flow going. And that's one of the biggest challenges, obviously, being a, you know, a small artisan producer of anything, be it cheese or meat or jams and jellies or produce is just, you know, keeping, keeping the flow going. And making sure, yeah, that you can make enough cheese and move enough cheese, like you said, to, to keep the farm uh, financially viable. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. Well, let's, uh, let's talk first about the farmer's markets. Um, are they big in Ohio? Are people sort of rallying around farmer's markets and really getting out to, uh, to support you guys? Absolutely. You know, we, we've, we've also seen the national trend um, this, this explosion of farmers markets, which is just a fantastic thing. You know, obviously there's many great reasons to buy locally. You get um, more, you know, fresh freshness and you get taste, but you're also strengthening your local economy. And we see, you know, our folks are very, very happy to come and buy directly from the grower, and um, they feel that they're doing something important, you know, supporting, an, you know, endangered family small farms. And uh, many of our customers also feel that shopping at the farmers markets is actually protecting their family's health. You know, they're putting um, the right things into their children or or their elderly parents. You know, they're really concerned about the chemicals and the use of pesticides. So, they enjoy buying food from local farmers and and people that they trust and that they can speak to. So, um, farmers markets are, are a wonderful thing here in Ohio, and um, there's obviously been a boom. You know, there's there's many, and the trick is to make sure that we can get, you know, cheese out to all of them, or at least many of them. Absolutely. What are, what are some of the biggest farmer's markets that you guys uh, attend? Um, we attend the Tremont Market, which is a fantastic market in downtown Cleveland, and it's early in the week, which has its benefits because uh, it's a big chef market for us, which, um, you know, the chefs like Doug Katz from Fire, uh, they come down to the market and they'll purchase from uh, many of the vendors there, and then they'll actually do the, their weekly menu planning. Um, you know, early in the week for the weekend. So it's, it's a great market. But there's many, you know, big, big markets that we have. You know, there's, there's the North Union Market, and um, there's, you know, other obviously affluent community markets, which are very good from, for us because they understand specialty cheeses and they understand, um, I guess, the perishable nature of these specialty cheeses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's exciting to hear that, you know, in New York City, our sort of chef farmer's market, I guess, would be the Union Square Green Market. Um, That's become a real beacon for, um, you know, chefs who are interested in local food to come out and get their uh, and get their stuff. It's interesting. I was actually just in Cleveland. um, Well, yesterday, we left yesterday afternoon and and the Tremont area seemed particularly interesting because it seemed like a a community of restaurants and sort of a, a food center that was kind of cropping up on the on the west side there. Yeah, and it's 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 an evolving area. It's you know obviously an urban area, but with the with the rise of urban farms uh, and you know taking a vacant green space and turning it into farms, um, it's 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 really become a, an important thing. Absolutely. Now it seems like Cleveland, um, in particular, is kind of a leader in this sustainable food movement in Ohio. Uh, do you have any comments as to why that is? Uh, what makes Cleveland such a receptive city? Well, we have we have awesome assets in Ohio. Um, we have the metropolitan areas with very close proximity to very healthy rural areas with great soils, great water, and the ability to grow um, just a plethora of different products. I mean, we have fantastic microclimates in Ohio that allow us to do um, wines, to you know, cheeses, to grains, to uh, all different types of things. Um, Cleveland really uh, benefits from that, and uh, there's obviously a fantastic chef community in Cleveland that works directly with the growers uh, to whether it be you know supporting the community gardens or the farmers markets. 
uh, making, uh, you know, having an active hand in community-supported agriculture CSA programs. Um, I think it was the environmental website Sustain Lane actually just recently ranked Cleveland as the second best local food city in the United States. Wow. So, you know, we're, we're making progress and uh, we have a lot to celebrate. Now, can you, just for our listeners, what, I've, I'm not familiar with that website. Um, what, what you said, Sustain Lane? Sustain Lane, yeah. S U S T A I N L A N E. Okay, and is that a dot com or dot org? I think it's a dot com. It's an environmental website. Okay. Okay. That's really exciting. Well, you know, just I actually um, talking about Doug Katz and, and fire. Um, we had dinner there while I was in Cleveland and it was fantastic. Um, it would be great to sort of, you know, point out some of these chefs that are really paying attention to the local, um, you know, just to just to give our listeners sort of a good database of where they could where they could go um, in Cleveland to find this kind of food. Um, so, yeah. Who are some of the chefs that you find most uh, supportive of your work? Well, you mentioned Doug Katz at Fire, certainly so. And then there's uh, Jonathan Sawyer at the Greenhouse Tavern. I recently named one of the uh, 2009 uh, Best New Chefs, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's many. Uh, Eric Williams from Emocho. Uh, there's just uh, many fantastic people that are being, are being recognized nationally uh, by their, by their innovative, innovative creations, but also in their support of of the farmers and the growers because it takes a certain type of chef to understand that you know we do have a seasonality and um you know that's part of the the challenge of being an artisan producer is that the cheese does fluctuate you know through uh through the by the weather um we had a very big challenging time here last summer in ohio because it was very hot and very dry and you know the cheese the cheese changes and that's one of the wonderful things of producing a product that that um, in small batches that we actually can see the effect of the weather, of the forage, um, and you know of the animal husbandry on the final product. But and it takes a chef to understand that. Well, absolutely. And so it's interesting. You know, chefs. It seems like you know are artists, and so they kind of can understand those those inherent changes in in a product. Distributors seems like, seem like they can be a little bit more challenging to work with in that way. Um, have you had more difficulties working with distributors with regards to your the seasonality of your product? We've actually chosen to work with uh, two two different distributors that both were former chefs. So we're lucky. They're smaller. They're not the big heavyweights. Um, but they uh, understand that, you know, that we go out of stock on certain things. You know, this particular, this particular cheese may not be available, or it's only best when we make it in early spring. So we've, we've chosen to partner with people that really do understand what we're producing, because although I, we may not be selling as much, um, we, we feel that they're better representatives of, of what we are trying to do in terms of as farmers and as artisan cheese makers. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if you feel comfortable. I would love to know who those distributors are, because I feel like, you know, as this industry grows, um, distribution is kind of the biggest piece of the puzzle that seems to be lacking. So any kind of representative company uh, would be, you know, a great, uh, a great resource for someone who's thinking about starting a business like that. Yeah, absolutely. We work with um, our, our Cleveland markets are represented by Premier Produce. And uh, they do a lot of work with, with many, many cheeses. They're very proud of their cheese selection. Um, I know that they do a lot of work with Wisconsin uh, specialty cheeses, too. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some of our other markets are serviced by uh, Summit Select Provisions, which is two chefs that formed a small distribution company. 
That is so, that's so cool. I feel like, you know, uh, uh, you know, what a better way for, you know, your product to get to market than through the hands of former chefs that are, that are doing that kind of work. It's, it's really hard work, but when it's done well, it just, it, it, the, the benefits are much more uh, wide reaching because like you said, versus a farmer's market where you have to rely on people to come to you, then, you know, that you can really reach a lot more people. And they understand the process, you know, at the farm, we manage our process our entire process from pasture to plate. You know, we're seeding the hay fields that our goats eat, which makes the nutrient-rich milk, which the goats produce, which we make to then turn into cheese. And it, it takes someone to, to understand that, because by the time that cheese ends up on that cheese plate, I mean, there, there, there's potentially years of effort that have gone into it. Absolutely. And, um, for someone, someone has to understand that, and someone has to be, you know, the cheerleader for that, to say, yes, you know, this, this, this may seem like, a higher price per pound, but here is why. And it's because the inputs, the, the, the method of production matters. And for us, we found that, you know, the chefs that get that um, really are, are fantastic advocates for us, um, you know, as, as cheese producers, but also for, you know, the produce growers and uh, the, the specialty meat uh, purveyors. Uh, you know, it takes it, it takes someone to have a good understanding to to put a masterpiece on a plate. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, we are just about halfway through the show, so we're going to take a really quick break. But when we come back, uh, we'll learn more about the history of your farm and uh, what else is going on with uh, cheese initiatives in Ohio. So stick with us on cutting the curd. We are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show today has been sponsored by Cochon 555 and engineered and produced by Jack Inslee. My guest today is Abby Turner, owner of Lucky Penny Farm and Lucky Penny Creamery in Ohio. And uh, we're talking about what's going on uh, with cheese in that state. Um, So, Abby, I'd love to back up for a second. Um, How did you get involved with cheese in the first place? We, uh, as I mentioned, we purchased the farm about eight years ago and wanted to do something with uh, livestock. And uh, having grown up in the suburbs and, and not having grown up on a farm, uh, I wanted to start with an animal that if it got in my way, I could pick it up and move it. And that pretty much left small ruminants. <laughs> so at the time, we uh, uh, couldn't find any uh, sheep, good sheep genetics in Ohio. So we uh, landed on dairy goats and... Um, it was because I, I'm fascinated by milk and the science of cheese making. Um, milk is a wonderful thing. Our first food and uh, cheese is, you know, a fantastic way to preserve those nutrients. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, how did the farm grow? Did you start with just a couple and kind of add on as the years went on, or did you start uh, milking a sizable herd right away? Uh, we did. We started with four actually, and then grew from there pretty quickly. Um, you know, just trying to find the right number. Um, there's a sweet spot in terms of milking. 
that uh, you want to hit there, that you're getting the most production from the animal from good nutrition and good grazing um, and without increasing your labor costs too much. So for us, we figured that to be around, right around 50 animals. But everybody ha- every, every circumstance is different for every small farm producer. And, you know, what may work um, as a production method on my farm may not work on yours. So you have to find that kind of in, with your own inputs. But um, we decided to, to hang out at right about that 50. Um, now, that doesn't produce enough milk to meet our chef demand. So we actually do have two other farms, one English, one Amish, that raise milk to our specifications, um, goat milk. And uh, we purchase from those farms uh, that allows us to make more cheese and uh, to make cheese year-round because we are seasonal, although all our farms are not. That's really interesting. So I was going to ask you then, because the setup of your farm seems a little bit different in that you do have the farm where you raise the animals and the creamery. So then at the creamery, you're saying that you use the milk of your own herd in season and then um, also at other times of the year to other farms um, to, to make the cheese. So um, how many that's that's and, and that one of those farms is Amish. That was actually one of my other questions. Um, mm-hmm. That seems like a difficult you know, gap to bridge sometimes, uh, you know, because there is such knowledge there and such uh, history in agriculture, but um, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, the Amish cheeses sometimes make it to, um, you know, market as readily as other artisan cheeses. Um, so how did you go about developing those those relationships? Um, Ohio obviously has a very large Amish uh, contingent, and uh, many Amish farms in the region really do rely on local cheese processors, local cheese processors as a market for their milk. And without these uh, processors, many small Amish dairy farms would suffer. So, um, you know, in Ohio, milk obviously comes from a variety of different farms, but uh, the Amish do produce milk and are, uh, you know, good uh, shepherds of the land and of the animals. Um, there's, I think that it's a, something like, a, according to the USDA, the average dairy farm in Ohio has 51 cows, but obviously some have up to thousands. But even with all of these animals, milk uh, in Ohio, we're still a deficit state. So we're not even producing enough to meet our consumer and our processing demands. So there's fantastic opportunity here in Ohio for um, either English or Amish farms to produce milk. Right. Um, well, it's actually really interesting. My uh, my uh, boyfriend and I visited an Amish farm in uh, Berlin, Ohio, mm-hmm. um, just after Thanksgiving, and uh, we found that you know we had all we kind of shared all the same sustainable food heroes. We were talking about Michael Pollan and Elliot Coleman, and mm-hmm. um, and you know they had organized quite a few um, you know educational events in their community as well um, for farmers to sort of adopt more, you know, sustainable practices. So it seems like a really logical partnership um, and one that could be, you know, repeated many times over and made, you know, make many farms more profitable. Um, Is that something, do do you see yourself taking on uh, more milk in the future or are you kind of happy with where you're at right now? You know, as we grow, we probably will have a need to take on more milk. We want to obviously take on new farms carefully. Um, you mentioned uh, other cheese initiatives that are going on in Ohio, and uh, we uh, have been working. A number of small cheesemakers got together and put together something called the Ohio Sheep Milk and Cheese Initiative, and uh, this project is to explore the feasibility and the interest um, of uh, Ohio farms to actually produce sheep milk. And interestingly, uh, we, there's no 
sheet milk producers in Ohio at this time. Mm-hmm. We uh, held a, a seminar, kind of an educational session, and um, it was attended by English and Amish. And uh, we will be having uh, a few farms coming online, uh, making sheep milk, but there's also independent Amish communities that are having community meetings to determine whether or not, as a community, they want to milk sheep. That is that is really, really fascinating. Now, is there any history of sheep dairy in Ohio at any time or raising of sheep for different uh, for different agricultural, you know, reasons? Uh, well, like cows, uh, you know, sheep benefit from the wonderful resources that Ohio does have, whether, you know, that's, that's a very good land base of reasonably priced land, uh, clean water, uh, good soil. Um, we raise grain, so we obviously have a ready feed source. Uh, so there's many sheep producers in Ohio, but nobody is uh, raising dairy sheep uh, per se, whether they be crosses or um, no one's making dairy, nobody's making sheep milk at this time, which for there's a few of us artists and producers that would love to get our hands on some sheep milk so we could do some, uh, you know, some mixed milk cheeses or... Um, you know, Roquefort, well, obviously Roquefort, but calling it something differently, of course. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's great interest in it. Um, I, I think that it's estimated that there's about 150 dairy sheep farms in the United States at this time, but we are still uh, importing 66 million pounds of sheep cheeses into the United States each year. So there's an opportunity for small producers to milk sheep. Now, it's challenging work, and, uh, you know, like... Yeah, like any small ruminant, obviously the milk that you get is going to be less than with a cow, but um, the cheeses obviously are beautiful, and, and um, there's, there's, I think that there's good consumer demand for them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. As a shopkeeper, you know, uh, sheep milk cheese is definitely the hardest for me to get my hands on, and sheep milk itself is like gold. You know, sometimes right. people come in and ask for sheep's milk, and I'm like, oh, man. Once, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, once upon a time, I got a quart or two from a, a friend of mine who has a farm upstate, but that's pretty much it. Um, now, because sheep are, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a little bit more difficult to make a profit on along with this uh, initiative is there any talk of building a sort of uh, a cre- you know a different creamery or some sort of a collective facility where large amounts of this milk could be processed or would it be mostly in the hands of um, producers like you who are more of a smaller scale who could take on some of this milk uh, you know little by little we're actually looking at, at, at both um, we are looking at having a variety of different small per- small artisan cheesemakers taking on uh, certain amounts of milk, but based upon our specialty, you know, one cheesemaker, Brian uh, Schlatter out Canal Junction out in Defiance, Ohio, um, would, you know, take on sheep uh, milk for hard cheeses, where I would focus on um, some of the fresh cheeses because I have the pasteurizer. So, you know, kind of different smaller facilities looking at taking certain amounts on, but then we're also looking at a pooled milk facility um, and actually looking at some sites to... Uh, you know, consider working on something like that. You know, sheep milk has some wonderful advantages over goat or cow milk in that it can be frozen mm-hmm. and you can make cheese from it at a later time. So although the milk quantity is smaller, you can uh, aggregate and uh, then make bigger batches. So, uh, you know, there, it kind of changes the game from a cash flow perspective for a small processor. Um, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And now, um, can you tell our listeners about, um, well, my question, I guess, is how how is the state 
involved in this, at, if at all? Um, are your sort of, uh, you know, government uh, people in Ohio, are they helping you out with any of these initiatives or is, are these purely sort of self, self-directed? Uh, the Ohio Sheep Milk and Cheese Initiative is, is purely self-directed. It uh, is a group of small uh, farmers that got together that were hoping that at some point we can get someone to, to start producing sheep milk. And uh, it was actually the, the first part of the initiative was funded by SARE, um, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education. We were very lucky to get some grant funding to be able to start moving in this direction. Um, in regards to the state, the state obviously has been very supportive in terms of uh, providing us with uh, quick answers to questions that we may have about sheep dairying or other types of dairying. Um, Ohio, I believe, has one water buffalo farm. Wow. And um, I know that there's, you know, they're looking at a few other different types of milk at this time, as are other farms across the country. So the state's been great in terms of just making sure that, uh, that we're getting our questions answered. Um, and they hope, of course, that we're starting a new industry in Ohio. Uh, there's, there's none yet, so it would be great if we could do it. We have all the resources, the international knowledge, the land, um, and we just need to uh, get some uh, good genetics here. And uh, we've worked uh, in partnership with uh, the University of Wisconsin Spooner Ag Research Center. has been very helpful to us in terms of making sure that we're on the right track. Um, we're modeling after the Wisconsin uh, Dairy Co-op. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Wisconsin is one of the largest producers of sheep's milk in the country. Is isn't yeah. that right? Yes. Yeah. Now let me ask, um, c- because along with this, you know, starting this new industry comes the education piece. Um, are there any what what is the what's it like in Ohio in terms of um, schools or groups to teach new cheesemakers and experienced cheesemakers? Um, are there a lot of educational resources that way? There are. Uh, we actually not as many as we'd like, of course. But uh, many innovative uh, people have tried to, uh, whether it be hold seminars. Um, Ohio State University Extension has uh, brought in uh, uh, Vermont cheesemaker Peter Dixon many times. And uh, there have also been other independent classes. Innovative Farmers of Ohio um, just recently sponsored uh, three Ohio cheesemakers and then Wanamwambi to uh, go to sheep cheese uh, making classes with the folks from Three Shepherds Farm. And uh, I know in April there will be uh, a cheese making course, uh, some sheep cheese and then some other, obviously, I believe with Neville McNaughton uh, out at Canal Junction in Defiance, Ohio. So, you know, there's many of us that are just trying to bring some of these experts in to to help people along. If they're interested in making cheese, then, hey, great, let's get your hands on some curd and, you know, let's go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what about you guys at Lucky Penny? Do you guys accept interns or do any kind of uh, training that way? Um, we do. We do have interns in season, and uh, we're always... We're always happy to help people learn, and it helps us, you know, because there's there's always something to do, whether it's either the farm or the creamery. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No shortage of work on any farm, dairy farms especially. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, actually, we're unfortunately running out of time a little bit, but a a topic that I always like to discuss on this State of Cheese, um, uh, you know, series is is raw milk. Um, I know that, you know, the climate is sort of seeming increasingly harsh towards uh, raw milk cheese production. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what your relationship is like with your inspectors and and consumers. What do people think about raw milk in Ohio? Uh, Our relationship with our inspectors is is great, and that's, that's the way we like it. Um, in regards to raw milk, you know, Ohio does have some herd shares, 
Uh, and, you know, that is, is the only legal way to get uh, raw milk in Ohio at this time. Um, you know, obviously, as, as small cheese producers, we often do get the requests from chefs that says, please, you know, sell us the raw milk cheeses, you know, before six days, but we can't. Yep. Um, so, you know, the challenge for us as cheesemakers is to try to get some of those raw milk cheeses, you know, to some, just to hit those the, that 60-day mark and then still have an extended shelf life so it can, you know, have some time to turn in the restaurant, you know, in terms of get out to the consumer. Absolutely, absolutely. But that's great. So, um, and, and your inspectors, are you mostly inspected by state officials or do you have FDA coming through as well from time to time? Uh, we're we're state only at this time because uh, we're uh, not a, a grade A facility. But, and we don't ship over state lines uh, for grade A. Uh, but uh, we also, because we're in a city, um, we also have the regular health inspections that, you know, inspect us like a restaurant. Okay. Now, see, I'm, I'm like totally, you know, lack of uh, asking questions. Now, you said you're, where's the farm uh, located and where's the creamery located? Farm is located in Garrettsville, Ohio, okay. which is uh, in northeast Ohio. And then the creamery is located in Kent. We're just about a mile away from Kent State University in uh and all we're in an urban area, um, and it's an adaptive reuse of a form in, former Union labor temple. It's high-density industrial residential area, and um, we moved in and benefited an urban neighborhood with uh, providing a value-added processing facility. So we're kind of a connector, um, bridging uh, urban to rural, and uh, it's a good thing. That's so. amazing. And so do, does anybody else use the, uh, the creamery for anything, or is it just solely for your business? Um, we actually we host our farmers market. The winter farmers market is hosted at Lucky Penny Creamery, and uh, it's great because it gives the farmers the opportunity to vend throughout the year when the other outdoor markets have closed. So we provide them space to come on in, sell their wares, and it's heated. <laughs> so oh my that's god, a wonderful thing. it is a wonderful thing. I I go to the Union Square Market here in New York in January, and I'm just like, oh man, there's a. It's actually kind of like sport to see who can yeah. set up like the best propane <laughs> heater setup. You know, <laughs> it makes shopping very quick. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well. It has been such a pleasure to talk with you. If people want to know, uh, to learn more about your farm or get in contact with you, uh, what's the best way to do so? Do you have a we website? We have a small family farm website, and it's luckypennyfarm.com. Luckypennyfarm.com. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to be on the show with us today. I really, My really pleasure. appreciate your insights about your farm and, and, uh, and what's going on with dairy in Ohio, and uh, hopefully look forward to visiting you someday. That'd be great. Come visit. Thanks, Ann. Okay. Thanks, Abby.